one of the most neat, engaging, vibrant ways that I have had in worship took place when my husband and I were living down in Nashville, Tennessee, and we were invited to be a part of the launch team for a new congregation that was starting up in North Nashville. This was a congregation where the whole purpose of us gathering was to bring people from different ethnic backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, worship backgrounds together, and on Sunday to worship out of the fullness of our experience together. What this meant was that we brought a lot of different worship styles into the sanctuary, and it was a beautiful thing. It meant that we had people who were pretty charismatic, who were dancing in the aisles and praying out loud, who were worshiping right alongside. Some of us were a little bit more, um, a little bit more Presbyterian. <laughs> In our, in our worship style, we had people who prayed in different languages, in Spanish and in Hebrew. They were praying from up front and others of us who didn't speak those languages at all, who just kind of tried to follow along. It was a beautiful experience for us to have worshiping together. And when I look back at that time, it was a glimpse, a small glimpse into the beautiful community that God desires for his people to be. Last week, Petey introduced our sermon series, and it is called Biblical Truths for a Racialized World. Now, we're using that term racialized, and what we mean by it is simply that we live in a world where there are racial categories, where racial categories exist, and they do have an impact on how we live. Now, in this sermon series, we know that some of you are really uncomfortable even in us just bringing up the topic or talking about it at all. But as we have been processing everything that's taken place over the last year and just the current cultural moment that we're living in right now, we realize that if each of us has our own preferred news networks and we have social media influencers and family and friends who are all helping to frame the questions that we're asking and the ways that we're thinking about this, where's scripture? Does scripture have a voice in these conversations? We believe that it does. Not that we are assuming that we will tell you how, how we ought to live this out or even what this necessarily means for us. We just want to look at scripture and ask how it can maybe inspire our imagination as Christ followers, what it mean, can mean for us to live this out in the world. And kicking us off last week, Petey named that God made each and every one of us in the imago Dei, in the image of God. He made us beautifully and uniquely in his image. And he did that because the goal was to create a beautiful community of people. The image that we have in scripture of the eternal kingdom that all of us are bound to when we follow Jesus, we get a glimpse of it in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is the image of the beautiful kingdom that God has made his people to be. Last week, Petey said that we have to understand that the heart of God in scripture is to create a new people who model together what God desires for the whole world. 
So if that is the case, if we are called into this beautiful community this week, we are going to be talking about what it means for God to teach us how to interact with one another because of the way that he interacts with us. The biblical truth that we will be centering ourselves in is this. We worship a God who extends justice and mercy to and through his people. We're going to be in the book of Micah this morning. If you want to open up your Bibles or your Bible apps, Micah is kind of a teeny tiny book. It may be hard to find in your Bibles. Um, Your Bible apps may be a little bit easier. Micah is one of the prophets in the Old Testament. And we are going to be in Micah chapter 6. So I want to give a little bit of background about what was going on in Micah leading up to the passage that we'll be in. So Micah was prophesying, talking about what was happening in the kingdom of God and in the community of God during a time when there was a lot of turmoil. God had created this beautiful community that he was desiring to have flourish, and what happened is it started to really break down. It was like physically breaking down because of the sin that was taking place. They were practicing idolatry, so they were worshiping other gods. They were taking advantage of people who were weak and vulnerable, they were even committing acts of like physical violence against people who were weak and vulnerable. So this community is in the midst of breaking apart. And by the time we get to Micah chapter 6, God has spent six chapters naming, naming and naming all of the ways that this community is falling apart. So in Micah 6, in the first five verses, what we have is God calling his people out. He says that he sees the sin that's happening. He sees it. And he says that it's not right. That's not what he has called them to. So then in verses 6 and 7 of Micah 6, the people essentially say back to God, well, what do you want us to do about it? Yeah, we get it, but what do you want us to do about it? And that is the context for our passage this morning. My hope is that in reading Micah 6, verse 8, we can let this really sink in to our minds and our hearts this morning. Micah 6, 8, he has shown you O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? God extends justice and mercy to his people by even giving them this instruction by saying, I'm not done with you yet. I know that your community is broken, but I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to see you through this. And then he calls his people to demonstrate justice and mercy to the world. So we're going to go deep into this passage today. The first thing God calls his people to is to act justly. That word justice in Hebrew, which is the language that this book was written in, that word justice in Hebrew is mishpat. Can you say that with me? Mishpat. Mishpat means justice. And there's a very specific image that is associated with this idea of justice. When you hear the word justice, I would love for this image to start coming to mind. That image is of balanced scales. Balanced scales. This is what scripture refers to when it talks about justice. There's a direct reference to it in Proverbs 16, verse 11. It says that a just mishpat, balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. When God tells us through Micah to pursue justice, what he's saying is that he wants us to have balanced scales. When a scale gets lopsided, gets tipped, it's unjust. And when it's put back into balance, it is justified again. So justice in scripture, it connotes a making right, a making even, making balanced and fair. 
Rich Velotis, who pastors a multi-ethnic congregation in New York, he writes that justice, very simply, is about having right relationships, balanced relationships, one with another. To do justice means that every person is taken seriously as a human being made in the image of God. And we have seen different ways that this has borne out of our congregation over the years. But there was one story from this past year that really stood out to me when I thought about this balancing out the scales justice work that God calls us to. Urban Ventures is one of our missions partners. And our Christmas offering went to help fund a new early childhood education center and college preparation center that they are starting up. And they're starting it up in a neighborhood that has historically lacked funding for educational resources for the kids in that neighborhood. What Urban Ventures did is that they looked at that neighborhood and they said that scales are really tipped against these kids. Those kids are full images of God. They don't deserve to have those scales tipped against them. What can we do to help make them even, make them balanced, make them right? And so they started up these education centers, and we have had the privilege of being a part of that justice work that they are doing. When Micah tells us to do justice, he is instructing us to just look around us, look at the scales around us and our relationships and all of the ways that this bears out, just to see if the scales are tipped and then ask what we can do. If we are working to do this justice work of balancing out the scales, having right relationships around us, what will necessarily flow out of it is mercy. Mercy. The second instruction is to love mercy. Now, that word in Hebrew, that language that this text was written in, it's translated as mercy here in Micah. But some of you, if you're reading it on your Bible apps or even reading it in your Bibles, you may not see the word mercy there because the word is Chesed. Can you say that with me? Chesed. My husband said I needed to do vocal warm-ups this morning to get that one out. Chesed. Chesed can be translated mercy, but it also has a few other meanings. It can mean goodness. It can mean faithfulness. It can mean forgiveness. But in the over 400 times that this shows up in the Old Testament, the most consistent meaning for chesed is Faithful love, faithful, steadfast love. Chesed shows up so much in the Old Testament. It is all over the Old Testament because community requires chesed. It doesn't exist without chesed. It is a binding agent for community. And we see this play out in a number of texts throughout the Old Testament, but my favorite one is in the book of Ruth. So in the first chapter of Ruth, two brothers and a father all die at the same time. So they leave behind three widows. There's Naomi, the mother, and then Ruth and Orpah, who are two daughters-in-law. Now in this moment, Naomi doesn't know what to do. So she says that she's just going to go back to her homeland. She's going to go back to Bethlehem because she's an Israelite. And she tells her daughters-in-law to go back to their homelands, which is not the same as hers. Ruth, in particular, is from Moab. Now, Naomi is an Israelite. Ruth is a Moabite. 
Those two historically did not get along. Even physically, you could tell the differences between them, and they had a violent past between their people. But instead of turning back, which really would have been the easier thing for Ruth to do, to just go back to her homeland and let Naomi go back to hers and keep things easy and simple and peaceful, Ruth instead makes a pledge to Naomi that she will go with her, that she will go with Naomi to live among the Israelites, a people who are not her people, but that they would become her people and Naomi's God would become her God. Over the course of the four chapters of Ruth, what we watch is that Ruth, in her chesed, in her faithful love and mercy that she shows to Naomi and to the people around her, what happens is she forms a new community. She forms a new community and a new family. Essentially what happens, it's, it's kind of like a biblical rom-com unfolds in some ways. Ruth falls in love with a man named Boaz who falls in love with her. And what he does at the end of that book is that he declares that Ruth's chesed, her faithful love, her mercy, is what made him fall in love with her, but also what created a whole new family. Chesed, this type of faithful love, has a way of bringing outsiders in to community. And in doing so, it enriches the community through their presence. But it also has a way of helping insiders posture themselves in such a way that they are outward-facing. They become open to welcoming in those who are different than them. Because Naomi and Boaz, these Israelites, they didn't need to welcome Ruth in. They didn't have to do that. But in doing so, they created a new community, a new family that was deep and rich. Now on the flip side of this, without chesed love, without this kind of faithful love, community can fall apart. Community can fracture really easily. Urban Ventures, that same missions partner, that's starting up the Early Childhood Education Center and the College Prep Center, they stepped in last summer with chesed love to help unite a community that was struggling, really struggling. At the height of the turmoil last summer, many businesses along Lake Street were destroyed. And what they recognized was that there were a lot of people in the Minneapolis community who were unsure about where their basic needs were gonna be met how very basic needs were going to be met. What they did is that they saw that each of those people was a full image of God. They were a full image of God, and they deserved faithful love in this time of fracture and in this time of need. And so they found short-term solutions to just bridge the gap, to find ways to care and meet the needs of people until longer-term solutions could be found. And CPC actually got to have a hand in making that happen. We have a photo of our great room from last summer. Think about last summer. Just take a moment. Think about how separated we were because of the pandemic, because of so much, we were so divided. This was an opportunity for chesed love to bring us together, to be faithful in the midst of a time of need and in a time when things really could have become far more fractured. Urban Ventures did that justice work of recognizing the full image of God and these people who were in need and then stepping in, just being faithful, 
offering mercy in the way that we could. If we are honoring the full image of God in one another, if we're doing this justice work, and if we are loving mercy faithfully, steadfastly, I think that inevitably we will become really, really humbled and grounded in the midst of this. Now, for many of us, when I say that word humble or humility, I think what can come to mind is almost like a self-deprecation or even like a sense of low self-esteem, maybe. But in Scripture, that is not how humility is understood. That word, to walk humbly with your God, humble is tzana. Can you say that with me? Tzana. Proverbs 11 demonstrates this wisdom, this tzana. It says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble, tzana is wisdom. The Bible directly connects this idea of humility, not with a self-deprecation, not with a sense of being unworthy, but actually with a deep amount of wisdom. Adam Grant is an organizational psychologist, and he wrote a book recently called Think Again. And in it, he calls leaders to take on a posture of what he calls confident humility. Confident humility. He writes that confident humility is knowing how little you know and how much you're capable of learning. What it means is that we don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have all of this figured out. All we need to do is know how much we can learn, how much we can care and love others. And if we're able to do that, if we can ground ourselves in in that, It gives us the confidence to know that that in itself is enough. That as one fellowship, where my husband and I worshiped, was a beautiful community. It was a beautiful community. What it inspired out of that justice work of seeing one another as full images of God and allowing us to worship together out of our backgrounds and out of our heritage, what it ended up doing too, though, is it made each of us pretty humble. Because while we were standing in that sanctuary, not only were we honoring one another, but we also had to recognize that I was not the only image of God in that room. I was not the only person who was going to be honored and have my preferences and song choices and worship styles honored. We had to balance the scales and make space for everyone to be able to worship in the ways that God was calling us to. Christians, as Jesus followers, we should especially be gifted at walking with this sense of confident humility. Because first and foremost in our faith, we know that God has called each one of us into relationship, and that is the grounding of our being. That is where we find ourselves, is belonging fully with God. But we also know that the only reason we are in relationship with Jesus, the only reason we have the faith that we have, is because there was a time when the scales were tipped entirely against us. The scales were tipped entirely against us until Jesus stepped in, until God sent his son to justify the scales. Sin was a problem. The scales were tipped against us. And the only way that that was fixed was by God sending his son to us. I know that this topic can be uncomfortable for us. 
know that talking about difference, talking about race can be challenging for us, and all of us are grappling with this in our own ways. But the beauty is that we are all found in Jesus, and we can humble ourselves knowing that all of us are existing in this space because God was willing to humble himself for us. God was willing to go there for us. Today is Pentecost Sunday. This is the day in the church calendar in which the early church really takes root and comes to life. The Holy Spirit shows up to embolden and empower the church in Acts 2. And we're going to get into the passage, but for a little bit of context, I just love this because what we have is a group of people gathered together in a room. Jesus has already ascended, and so they're kind of standing around wondering, what do we do now? How do we worship? (laughs) What does all of this actually look like? And as they are waiting, they recognize they are all different They are all different, they have different backgrounds, and then in one powerful moment, God shows up to unify them. This is in Acts chapter two, verses one through four. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and it divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Holy Spirit shows up in this place, fills them up and unifies their very different languages so that they can hear one another and worship together and be united in Christ. Now in that work, every person in that room is recognized as a full image of God. Their relationships are made right because they are filled with the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit coming is also a beautiful act of God's chesed because while they were standing around really unsure about what following Jesus was going to look like now, God says, I haven't left you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Here is my Holy Spirit. And he sends the Holy Spirit to them. And then together, They have the ability to hold out this confident humility because they know that this was not their work. They didn't choose this. They didn't do anything to merit the coming of the Holy Spirit, but God was gonna show up for them anyway. And in doing that, God would help them to live out this justice work, this mercy work that he desires for us in the world. Will you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, We thank you, Lord, that you have sent your Holy Spirit to us. God, that we can worship in spirit and in truth. And because of that, Lord, you fill us up and you will guide us, transforming us to allow us to balance out the scales, to see places where people are in pain and hurting and in need of chesed, faithful love. God, help us today to walk in humility Lord, form us and shape us by the power of your Spirit. Amen.